Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card. I'm Austin and with me as always is my co-host Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing pretty good because we are uh, looking at one of my favorite cards of all time today. Connor, do you want to, I mean, it's going to be in the title and everything, but do you want to just dive right in and say what one of your favorite cards of all time is? In case someone's made it into the episode without seeing anything about it. Thank you. Welcome. The entire topic of today's episode is Graxaplon, a blue beast from way back in Onslaught uh, with really nothing special about it. Uh, it has kind of cool art, definitely a unique and not very good effect. But we're talking about this card mostly because it really spoke to me as a child when we started playing this game uh, way back in the early 2000s. For whatever reason, Graxiplon just lodged in my mind as this big blue dumb beast. I want to talk about it because I think no one else has really ever given basically any amount of thought to this card with good reason. And uh, we're going to today give Graxiplon more attention than it's probably ever had in its 20 year life. Yeah, and also, honestly, we just thought it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's our show. We will be finishing the Kamigawa <laughs> set review for Cube. It's in the works. It is in the works. The next episode of that will be coming soon. But we just wanted to record kind of a short, fun, strange little episode for you to enjoy while we're getting that put together. A little bonus episode, if, if you'd like to call it that. All right, Austin, you want to read the one card that we have for today? All right, our card for today is Graxaplon. Five and a U for a 3-4 beast. Graxaplon is unblockable unless defending player controls three or more creatures that share a creature type. And then the flavor text, attempts to revive this ancient species have not been entirely successful, but results indicate potential for future development. Riptide Project Researcher. And then the art, I'm not going to tell you to go to the YouTube channel this time if you're listening on uh, your podcast app, but tap on it and look at the art because the art is a big part of what attracted us to this card. It is a uh, a big, beautiful, blue, praying mantis-looking beast that also shares some similarities with uh, maybe a, a more well-known type of creature in magic. Should we actually start there? Because that's like probably the most notable, <laughs> to the extent there's anything notable about Graxaplon, that's probably it, the most notable thing about it in the history of magic. So it sort of starts with the flavor text here, uh, which is a Riptide Project researcher saying, talking about this ancient species that they're attempting to uh, revive and how it hasn't been successful, but results indicate potential for future development. So at first glance, this just seems like, you know, kind of forgettable flavor text. Uh, One old comment on Gatherer by someone named Kajillion said, what terrible flavor text. That text could have gone on pretty much any beast ever, which is fair enough. If you don't, I, I don't even know like, magic history. We'll stop hiding the ball here. Graxaplon kind of looks like a sliver. And of course, the Riptide project was about reviving slivers. So <laughs> Graxaplon, as far as we can tell, is a failed attempt by the Riptide project to bring slivers back to life. And instead of the full on sliver, they got this. Yeah. And uh, slivers, for anyone who's somehow listening to this and is enfranchised enough as a magic player to to not know what slivers are. <laughs> to, to be listening to an episode about Graxaplon and yeah. not know about slivers. So slivers, of course, are uh, the Tempest Block and later crazy kind of manted insectoid creatures that uh, they're kind of like the Borg in a way. Like they learn from each other. They absorb abilities from each other. And the Riptide Project uh, was doing a whole bunch of regrettable biological research. But one of the, including turning wizards into blue goo. Um, 
But one of the other things that the uh, Riptide Project was doing was studying slivers, uh, which turned out to be a very bad idea. Uh, So to quote the Wikia, the most significant piece of research undertaken by the project was the study of slivers based on remains discovered in the ruins of the stronghold on Urborg. Projects succeeded in recreating slivers and even creating new varieties. Without the control of the Sliver Queen, the slivers ran wild and slaughtered most of the researchers. So this is... uh, we believe a little prefiguring of that because the slivers themselves didn't actually show up until uh, Legion, but in Onslaught, there are all these little cute clues. And so this is the most blatant of the cute clues, but there's a couple others. Actually, no, there's <laughs> there's, there's several other Riptide <laughs> cards that show the slivers, uh, but none of them are in Onslaught. I'm wrong on that. Uh, except for Riptide Replicator. Uh, Riptide Replicator is an artifact that copies things. You don't need to know too much about it, except that the art is very blatantly a sliver being, I don't know, created out of lava or orange goo or something. Uh, and so there was just a little bit of a hint at what was coming in Legions, which was the uh, onslaught of the slivers upon Dominaria. Yeah, I really like this art for Riptide Replicator. I've never seen it before, but it looks like they're basically like pouring a mold of a sliver. <laughs> like like they're trying to make a, a sliver bronze cast or something yeah yeah it looks like they're making a statue it doesn't really look like it's going to result in a living creature does it it's like guys no wonder it's not successful well and also because the cephalids they always look kind of dorky but here they look really dorky they kind of look like the um what are those guys in star wars the uh guys with the big heads oh no we're gonna get roasted over oh we're gonna get admiral akkar is one of them uh the, the guys the ones who build the ships for the rebels the big bumpy ships <laughs> guys star wars <laughs> akbar species this, this is a pretty loose uh loose uh, episode the mon calamari which by the way i just realized calamari oh, like squid. Come, on. come on what is that so these these calamari uh, seem a little less competent than the ones building <laughs> spacecraft in Star Wars. In this one, they look really, really silly. Yeah, they, they got to get their act together. But it is cool. They got these uh, like helmets that I guess allow them to operate out of the water. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Is this the only only card where cephalids appear out of the water? No, 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 no. No, I feel like they're usually... Oh, you're right. Okay, the, I right, mean, I'm totally the- wrong on that. There's a lot of misinformation this episode, Connor. Yeah, we're really just sewing doubt all over the place. But one thing we can say for sure is Graxaplan kind of looks like a sliver. And well, and we believe is a precursor, like the flavor text implies it, the appearance implies it. But I will say I scoured the web for like 30 minutes and there's a lot of people on like old MTG Salvation threads saying this. I can't find any Watsy thing saying this. And I don't know if that's just Link Rod or some Wizards employee said it in an interview or if this is just, just made up completely and Graxaplan just kind of looks like a sliver i am glad that you have at least found other people discussing this because i was getting a little worried that we just made it up a few other uh fun riptide cards that happen to show slivers in the background just for completeness sake uh riptide survivor is a pretty fun one it's almost like a metroid kind of vibe in the art where there's one of these onslaught goo wizards and then in the background there's a sliver and a tube so that's pretty cool warped researcher is a Great one from Legions. Like, I don't even know what this researcher is. It's worth looking this one up. I'll link it in the show notes. But he is this absolutely terrifying blue muscle. Oh, he is messed up. I don't even know what to call it. Like a 90s villain, comic villain guy, like caressing the corpse of a sliver. Pretty freaky. Stabilizer is a little bit on the nose. It's a scourge hate card for cycling um, that just has a sliver in a bubble. I don't really get why, because slivers aren't really known for cycling. And then Uncontrolled Infestation is another funny sliver piece where they're destroying the Riptide lab and they just look goofy. It's kind of like 
they just look like gremlins or something. They don't look like meanies. They just look like they're being silly, destroying the Riptide Lab. <laughs> the sort of Uniclaw situation that Slivers have going on looks especially silly on uncontrolled infestation. <laughs> it, really does. it really brings home the essential silliness of the Slivers. Yeah. Maybe they're meant to stay in sort of a two-dimensional space like these cephalids are trying to do. One thing I'll say about this card is if this was meant to be like foreshadowing of the slivers, I think it's too subtle because... It is pretty subtle. It You have to really guess at it looking at the art. There's a great gatherer comment from a guy called In My, In My Pants 22 <laughs> who says, uh, it looks more like a sliver to me, which I, I guess is meant to be a criticism, but also indicates like this really wasn't doing what it was meant to do. With, uh, <laughs> he, In My Pants almost almost figured it out well i think we need to um go back to the name graxaplon you don't really see a lot of cards with names like this anymore i feel like we've actually had multiple uh comments uh on youtube and elsewhere saying what are you guys saying when you say graxaplon because we've mentioned another <laughs> yes. episode so people can't tell what we're saying you don't really get names like this and i like it it's uh it's mysterious and magical uh and sort of unpronounceable and i i like that it it's one of these things that sort of adds you know, adds this feeling of depth to the world of magic in the same way that like Tolkien, right, is full of like names and little one-off references that create this feeling of history. I feel like Graxplon, it's not explained. It's just the Graxplon. And, you know, we, we never find out what it is. You just have to look at the art and try to wonder. And and the art doesn't really tell you much of anything either, right? It's this sort of creature that's like skimming over the, the surface of the ocean, I guess, but doesn't have flying. Oh, that's confusing, isn't it, by the way? It this sure is. Yeah, we've uh, we've talked about a lot of creatures in Kamigawa that look like they should have flying and don't. And <laughs> Graxaplod would fit right in there. A pretty wonderful uh, quote on TCG Player uh, from someone named Andy Hurst who built like a Jace the Mind Sculptor <laughs> Planeswalker dual deck and happened to throw in Graxaplon, which I think is amazing. It's like the one of the only references of this card on the web. Um, he said, Mirazel and Graxblon have two of my favorite names. I wish they would go back to some of these incredibly weird names for incredibly weird creatures. Uh, and I, I love that. It does feel like kind of a, a different sort of creative process, right? Well, so we started touching on the art. Um, as you said, it's very evocative. It's by an artist called Ian McCaig, who hasn't done a whole lot of pieces. He's only done 17 pieces in the history of magic. I'll link them. Uh, interestingly, he did like six in Onslaught Block and then nothing, nothing, nothing until Shadows Over Innistrad Block, where he did a couple and then he's done another, like, I don't know, eight, nine pieces since then. Uh, so pretty limited selection of pieces to look at. Um, and his art style seems to evolve quite a bit. This piece and his other Onslaught pieces are in this kind of, like, late 90s, early 2000s. I'd call it kind of a comic book style. I don't know about you, Connor. Like, thick black lines, super saturated color, which was a, a pretty common style. His is less exaggerated and goofy than a lot of other cards in the style, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's it's a little bit comic book i i'm looking through everything he's done i actually prefer these onslaught ones to some of his more recent works which are just kind of like i don't it, it doesn't really feel like there's much of a distinctive style to them oh there's one with uh asmore that's kind of fun chef's kiss i would say his recent works are extremely technically competent like i'm looking at like all the glitters claim the firstborn like these are really highly technical pieces but i agree these these older pieces have uh, more personality, obviously Graxaplon, but also um, like Fleeting Avon has an interesting, almost Rebecca Gway quality to the colors and line work. Mm -hmm. uh, I always liked Silk Lash Spider as a kid, just because it's so violent and frankly gross, because it's a big old spider. That's one of the least gross spiders I've seen in Magic, though. That's true. Magic can go hard on gross spiders. Yeah. Yeah, I've always liked uh, Iron Fist Crusher. 
It's another one by him. Definitely part of the winning formula for Graxaplan. Okay, continuing our like just inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, millimeter by millimeter, in fact, dissection of this card. Let's talk about the type line, Connor. Uh, it's it's a beast. It's a beast in blue. That's that's slightly unusual, right? It certainly sounds unusual. But well, let's talk about how unusual it is, Connor. So there are 481 beasts in Magic total. Uh, and blue beasts are uncommon, but maybe not as uncommon as you'd think. So uh, of all the beasts in Magic, I'm going to go, uh, I'll go in Wubberg order. So 5% are white, 10% are blue, 7% black, 18% for red, 43% for green, 15% gold, and 3% colorless. So... I mean, blue is, you know, blue is beating both white and black, which surprises me a little bit. I feel like black could have could have some beasts in it, right? Kind of yeah. got some bestial stuff going on. I would have I would have guessed the order of beast frequency would have been something like green, <laughs> red, black. I would put blue at the bottom. I just like uh, beast frequency. It's, I feel like white at the bottom. Well, but I think white. Yeah, you'd think you'd get like, you know, dromedaries and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, dromedaries, some, some oxen. Yeah, they're kind of domestic, domestic things. Yeah, yep. Um, but no. <laughs> yeah, blues, <laughs> blues showing up with beats, beasts. <laughs> yeah, and most beats. of the blue beasts fit into like the kind of wizards, a kind of crazed wizard creation kind of thing. Like I'm looking at the truly wonderful Philomarid from, what is that, from Tempest, uh, which is another sort of traditionally block, unblockable guy. Oraxid. Uh, you got some phantoms, like kind of ghostly beasts, like a uh, phantom beast. The titular Phantom Beast. Um, you got Surprising Breaker. Oh, I don't like that. Wow, we should do a Blue Beast episode. There is just on the art. There is some crazy, crazy art out there for Blue Beast. Drix, of course, the iconic, terrible Blue Beast. A lot of sort of amalgams. Also, genuinely, please look up Surprising Breaker, everyone. I'm going to link it. It is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really I like it. I can't stop looking at it. Uh, there are seven other blue beasts in Onslaught. For anyone who's not familiar, Onslaught was a tribal block and beasts were one of the big tribes for green and then secondary in red. But interestingly, we still got seven blue beasts. Uh, we got the banger chrome shell crab, which I think is the only one of these to ever get reprinted because most of these are really, really terrible cards. Chrome shell crab is still a bad card, but it's a funny card for commander. And then you've got other just cards like mischievous Quanar and stuff. Uh, all these look like they're meant to be Riptide experiments to me. They're all these kind of crazy, over-the-top, kind of grody mutant creatures. Uh, actually, I think a few of them are really clearly that, like uh, obviously Riptide Mangler, but also Primok Escapee seems pretty clearly a, a Riptide Escapee. Yeah, I think Weaver of Lies also, I mean, it looks like he's in Riptide Labs. So. That's another one that made a big impression on me as a kid, just because he's so scary. Oh, yes. I was trying to... So, for some reason, I thought that Graxaplan appeared in some pre-constructed deck from way back when. So, I was looking at all the pre-constructed deck lists from Onslaught Block. Turns out Graxaplan is not in any of them, but there is a pre-constructed deck uh, that Weaver of Lies appears on the box of, Mm. and I believe I had that deck. So, Weaver of Lies in particular really sticks with me do you think that weaver of lies appeared on that deck because he kind of looks like a pokemon that's i'm that's not even an interesting kidding theory huh don't you i mean I, I could be projecting based on my own experience but i feel like 2002 me i'm coming from pokemon and sort of Yu-Gi-Oh. i look at this and i'm like well that's that's kind of like a pokemon i can see myself in this game i don't know <laughs> just throwing yeah. it out there yeah yeah he's just sort of a, a pokemon looking monster could be a little bit Yu-Gi-Oh esque too 
if anyone at, from Watsi in 2002 is listening to this and remembers why Weaver of Lies went on that theme deck, please let us know. What's the name of the theme deck, Connor? That theme deck is called Morph Mayhem, and it's a white and blue, as you might have guessed, morph theme deck that's almost entirely creatures. There's only two instants and three enchantments. Oh, because it's from Legion, so it's all so yeah. it's all creatures. So if anyone's not familiar, Legions was a set in Onslaught block that had only creatures, nothing else, which was not a winning idea, as it turned out. No, the the only set to have tried that. Wow. And uh, this deck, yeah, wow, 29, 26 lands, which seems like a lot. Like a lot. Come on, wizards. Well, you gotta you gotta hard cast your uh, your weaver of lies. Right, twenty six lands, twenty nine creatures, two instants, Akrama's blessing, and for some reason discombobulate. Why would they put one counter spell in here and then three enchantments? That is a strange, strange deck. Oh my goodness! And the the rares are chrome shell crab and weaver of lies. You definitely had this book deck. That's where you got yeah. your chrome shell crab. Yeah, I still have the chrome shell crab. And I, yeah, I remember this box. So I I would kind of love to recreate Morph Mayhem and play it against another pre-constructed deck from <laughs> Legions. Okay, I, w- I wanted to read the entire description of Morph Mayhem uh, off the Wikia because it's worth reading, but I wa- I'll spare spare you, listener, but look it up if you're a giant, giant nerd like us. I will say from this description, I like this because it's all morphs. Of course, playing a deck that contains so many 2-2 creatures is tricky. One cheap 2-3 creature like Elvish Warrior from the Onslaught set can cause a fatal slowdown. They're not really selling the deck to me on that. <laughs> not a lot, but but don't worry. You have some glory seekers in there so you can um, <laughs> have more 2-2s. Right, it goes on to say, and since many of your morph creatures have fairly high cost, wizards, you might get caught flat-footed. I don't want to be caught <laughs> flat-footed oh, oh. by a single harsh mercy, brackets Onslaught. Are they trying to sell this to my opponent or to me? This must have uh, this must have been on a little insert inside the deck, because if this was written on the box, I probably wouldn't have gone for that one. <laughs> also, Weaver of Lies, terrible, terrible card. Really an amazingly bad card. Blue, but that's kind of was Blue's, you know, thematic thing in Onslaught Block was bad cards. They're they're almost all really bad. Yeah. They are, especially the creatures. So Legion's just a, a tough time for Blue. Yeah, I actually went through all 117 blue cards in Onslaught in uh, my research for this, and there are really only seven decent blue cards in Onslaught. Just to rattle them off, they are Arcanus the Omnipotent, Brain Freeze, Day of the Dragons, Mind's Desire, Mistform Ultimus, Scornful Egotist, and of course, Graxaplan. Hold on, what? why is Scornful Egotist a banger? <laughs> I hoped you'd notice that, just because it's funny. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I... Mistform Ultimus is mostly on there because it's funny. There's really only four, Arcanus, Brain Freeze, Day of the Dragons, and Mind's Desire. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't want to go on too much of a, a tangent here, but there is another pre-constructed God deck. forbid. There is another pre-constructed deck from Scourge uh, that features Scornful Egotist. It's a blue and red converted mana cost matters. I had this one. I had this one. <laughs> I think you did, yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, we, we got we to gotta recreate these and, and go head to head. Well, you proposed earlier doing a gauntlet where we, uh, we talk about these. So if anyone wants that, just let us know. Or if, or if you don't, we might do it anyway. So speaking of Arcanus the Omnipotent, it shares a mana value and stat line, or <laughs> I guess I should say converted mana cost and stat line with Graxaplan. They are both blue, six mana, three fours. I think Graxaplan has had a little less staying power than Arcanus. Not that Arcanus has had a huge splash in the game. Honestly, that just seems cruel to poor Graxaplan, like in the same set. They stick Arcanus in there just as a kind of screw you to the Graxaplan. Yeah. I mean, there are only 46 
six mana three fours in the game of magic. So to put Grexaplon right next to Arcanus like that, I agree, is is rough. Two out of the forty six, three fours for six are in this set. Uh, that's news you can use. That is four percent of the total are in this set. <laughs> Write this down. So we haven't talked about the mechanics for this card at all. Uh, they are unfortunately pretty terrible. Even if this had unconditional unblockability, it would still be just adequate draft chaff. But I do like the conditionalness here. I, I feel like the conditionality here is interesting just because it signals the themes of the set, you know, this heavily tribal set and encourages you to play with the mist forms and other things that tweak creature types. Again, I don't think the payoff is quite good enough to make that worth doing, but I enjoy the attempt at least to do something different with the tribal design space. Yeah, uh, Mark Rosewater actually mentions Graxiplon in a 2002 article saying that Graxiplon is part of this apparently very small sort of tribal design space that is about punishing your opponent for not being tribal enough. Oh, interesting. So it was like an attempt in Onslaught Limited to kind of nudge people into being tribal enough? Yeah. It's a pretty weak incentive, to be honest. <laughs> know that that actually went anywhere. Graxiplon's a pretty weak incentive. Uh, the other two cards that he mentions, let me just scroll down there, are kind of doing something similar. One of them is Elven Riders, which is a green five mana three three that can't be blocked except by walls or creatures with flying. Okay, I don't really see that. And then the other one is Thoughtbound Primok, which is a red two three flyer. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, if a player controls more wizards than any other player, they gain control of Thoughtbound Primox. So I guess that is rewarding you with a three mana, two, three flyer that you may not lose if you have enough. <laughs> I feel like the player being punished there is the one who put Thoughtbound Primox in their deck. <laughs> yeah. This is a pretty good article, though. This is like an old school Mark Rosewater article where he really goes deep on the design of the set, but in a kind of less... How do I put this? Less polished way, maybe, than he does today? I I read Mark Rosewater's column religiously back then. And honestly, I, I feel like back then it was a little more authentic and a little messier in a way I appreciated. Yeah, the, there's actually a, a pretty great line toward the beginning of this article that I like a lot where he says, the key to design is to find a vein of creative space and mine hmm. it. And uh, yeah, I, I think Graxiplon is pretty deep in that vein. But <laughs> yeah, just a, a fun... tribal adjacent sort of effect. Yeah, actually, if you're interested in the history of Onslaught, this is a good read because he talks about the way that the entire tribal theme of the set evolved out of the Mistform cards um, and how they kind of tried to mine the tribal vein as thoroughly as they could. Pretty pretty fun article. All right, just a couple more notes on Graxiplon, Connor. Believe it or not, our Graxa journey... Is that an, is that a th- uh, journey? Is at an end? We may have mined this vein. <laughs> there is not a lot on the web about this, either contemporary or today. Not a lot of history of play. This appears in just twenty three EDH decks. So few that EDH rec will not even say which commanders it's played with most. <laughs> Similarly, it appears in just about a hundred cubes on Cube Cobra, and they all seem to be just you know onslaught set cubes. Not a lot of intentional love out there for Graxiplon. And similarly, while I keep uh, saddening the listener, there are just three references to this card in the entire history of Reddit, uh, only two of which are references to the card appearing in the deck list. Another one is just quoting the flavor text. Uh, one of those, though, is uh, super endearing because it misuses the word vintage and asks for advice on their, quote, vintage deck, by which I think they meant an old deck, uh, not knowing about the vintage format. And so the only <laughs> comments for this poor person on Reddit, it's a very Reddit moment, are people saying, this is not a vintage deck. These cards are not 
not vintage playable, which I think is wonderful. Um, but it is it is a really uh, misguided deck with, for example, just one copy of each of the Urza lands in it. So uh, it's worth looking at. <laughs> I love that. I could not find any competitive references to this at all. There's a just smattering of Star City Games card articles that mention this. Uh, all kind of preview articles that speculatively say things like not a great card by any meaning but it is a beast and might work out in a green blue deck (laughs) that's a hot take another uh not exactly ringing endorsement comes from uh, an article called how to get ready for the coming onslaught in which the uh, writer says the good news is that this guy costs six to cast and doesn't give blue mages much for what they're paying hey wait a second (laughs) the bad news (laughs) is that it's uncommon so you'll get way too many of them when you buy your packs that that's really it. I found uh, various ancient Watsi articles on the Wayback Machine that mention it, but they're all just like limited deck lists, and it's always in the sideboard. I could not find a single mainboard appearance of this in a contemporary pro event. That hurts. That hurts. It's a dark note to end on, Connor. Any any final words on Graxaplan? No, I uh, I think we have um, mined this creative vein about as much as we possibly possibly could. I, yeah, I guess I'd just say I I really have a, a soft spot for this card in a way that you know I think. A lot of players do where there's just, you know, some card that you saw early on when you started playing when, you know, there wasn't really a strong sense of of what's good and what's bad, uh, what's playable and what's not, what, you know, is supposed to be in a deck or, you know, what kind of card is good enough for you to care about. Uh, and I feel like Raxaplan is just that that card for me that, you know, brings me back to this nostalgic time when, you know, any metagame that existed was uh, far beyond my understanding. And a card like this could just go in a deck that you play on the kitchen table. You're here. And honestly, you could do worse in 2002 as an amateur player than than fall in love with Graxaplan. Like kitchen table magic, he, he's going to do some work. Hey, Connor, you know how you do those kind of wonderful thumbnail images for YouTube? Mm -hmm. I had a really good idea for this episode. I think you should use Graxaplan in the image. What do you think? Oh, that is genius. Thanks. Um, All right. Thanks so much for listening today. Uh, We had a lot of fun with uh, indulging ourselves with this ancient pet card. Uh, You can follow the show on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. If you liked it, we'd appreciate if you could share it with a Magic playing friend, post it in a Discord chat, upvote it or comment on Reddit or YouTube. All those things mean a lot. Uh, We take a lot of joy out of making it and we take a lot of joy from hearing from all of you. As Connor said, we'll be back soon with uh, more of a full fat episode, probably diving back in some ancient Kamigawa cards. Until then, though, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. 